good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett. We're going to be talking about God Rebuild this morning, as we've been talking the last few weeks on the, the, the names of God. There's seven redemptive names that we find in the Old Testament, and all seven of these names point to Jesus. They all point to who God is. They all point to, they reveal God to us. They reveal Jesus to us. They reveal to us what Jesus has provided for us through the finished work of the cross, which includes his death, burial, and resurrection. They all point to Jesus. They all point to the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Uh, before we do get into it, I do want to invite you. We will have a Bible study that night at 6 o'clock on the true nature of God. And then we have our Bible study on, on Wednesday nights on the new you and the Holy Spirit. But today, we're going to continue our series this morning on this seven redemptive names of God, which I've entitled this series on God Revealed. And I'm really enjoying this series. I've never taught on this, this, this way before, especially in, in, the, in the realm of, of teaching grace. And, uh, and so I see that these seven names point to, to who God is, as God reveals himself to us, as, as God reveals Jesus to us. And what we have through the cross. What we have through Christ. Because that all scripture points to, to Jesus. Jesus is the cornerstone of what we teach. And, and it all points to the cross. It all points to Jesus. And God has revealed himself to us. You know, one thing I've noticed about these seven redemptive names. All seven of these names. God reveals himself during times where Israel was going through a crisis. Or, or God's people for that matter. Abraham offering up Isaac. God revealed himself as a provider. When Israel came out of Egypt and they, they were uh, came to the after being without water for three days. Now, if you were without water for three days, you'd be complaining too. So no, you can't look at me with that religious attitude that say me where we complain about Israel. We complain about Israel complaining all the time, but you and I would complain just as much if we were without water for three days. And then they come to the waters of Marah, <coughs> and they're bitter. And God rebuilds Himself as Jehovah Rapha, their healer. God, when, when Israel, just two chapters later, in Exodus 17, when Israel was fighting the Malachites, God revealed himself as his, uh, the Lord, Jehovah Nisi, which is uh, the Lord, uh, your banner, the Lord, your victory. Right in the middle of God giving the law, and specifically when he's given the consequences for, or the penalties for not obeying the law, which is basically death, God reveals himself as, uh, the one who sanctifies. And then we looked at last week, uh, right in Gideon, uh, uh, they were uh, being oppressed by the Midianites, and then they were attacked, being attacked by the Midianites, the Malachites, and some other nations. He even says that there was camels, armies of camels, uh, as, as, uh, as many as the sea, sands on the seashore, and God revealed himself as Jehovah Shalom, our peace. Well, today we're going to be talking about Jehovah Tanisku. The Lord, your righteousness. And this is probably one of my favorite uh, names because I love talking about righteousness. My favorite verse is from 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, For he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Righteousness. You know, when we first started this church almost six years ago, I taught almost a whole year on righteousness. Uh, righteousness is one of my favorite topics. Why is that so? Because... It says in Psalm 89 that righteousness is the foundation of his throne. 
It talks about in, in, in Hebrews chapter 5 how righteousness is the elementary teachings. That all of, just because something elementary doesn't mean it's substandard. No, we, we learn, we, when we go to school, here in America anyway, we go to elementary school before we go to junior high school, high school, and college. If you don't understand the basics of elementary school, you're never going to be successful. You're never going to pass in junior high, high school, and college. If you don't know the basics of math, if you don't know the basics of writing and reading and, and some social skills, you're not going to get any higher education. The, the elementary teachings are foundational. The foundation of any building, the foundation of any business, the foundation of any home. I'm not just talking about the building, but the, 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 the marriage, husband and wife. The, the, the foundation of any relationship is crucial. The foundation for anything is essential. And so uh, uh, the, our foundation of faith is built on the revelation of righteousness. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why is that so? Because it was revealed to the Jews first and then to the Greek. To the Jew and the Greek. For therein, therein what? The gospel is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, because the just shall, the just, the word just is the word righteous, the word righteous, the just or the righteous will live by his faith. I'm not going to teach from Romans so much today, but we're talking about these seven we dip the names, how they reveal God to us. And all seven of these names are given to us uh, in times where Israel was in a crisis. I believe in America... And in our world, with all that's going on in our world, with all that's going on in America, right now, we are in a crisis. Much like uh, Israel was in times. But God is going to reveal Himself to us as our provider, as our healer, as our banner of victory, as our, our, our peace, as the one who sanctifies us, as the one who, uh, the Lord, our righteousness. The circumstances are not my Lord. This nation is not my Lord. God is my Lord. Jesus is my Savior, and He is my Lord. He's my King. And so, my Lord is my righteousness. So each of these names we built to a major doctrine to us. And so, uh, again, I think it's very timely because uh, we're, I felt like we're in a, in a nation in, in, a, in, a, in a time of crisis or whatnot. And so, this is very timely, because Israel found themselves in a time of crisis. We're going to be going to, uh, you can start turning your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 19. That's where we're going to start this morning. If you have your Bibles, if not, I'll be reading it to you. But Jeremiah 19 is where we're going to start, because this is where we find that this uh, sixth redemptive name. And actually, the sixth redemptive name, there's two things about this name, of, uh, just a little commentary on it. This is the first name that's given out of the prophets. The other names that we remember that were all in, in, in uh, through Moses or, or Gideon was through the book of Judges. But this is the first one given by the prophets. And this name is given twice. It's given twice in the book of Jeremiah. This name is twice. And whereas the other ones, we, we only see one count of this, this specific scenario where this word was given or this name was given. But God reveals this name twice to through Jeremiah. <coughs> now if you understand Jeremiah and you understand the backdrop of what's going on, Israel is in exile. Israel is, Israel is being overtaken. And why are they being overtaken? Because of their sins. 
They turned when they forsook God. They turned away from God. They began worshiping other God, and they became evil in some ways, in many ways. And it was because of their sins that they went into exile. So they're in exile not because uh, of um, uh, just something that's overtaking them. They got themselves in this situation by their own sins. Now some people think, well, God's judging America. I disagree. If God judges America, then he is being unjust to Jesus. Jesus took the full wrath of our sins. God's not judging countries like he did in, in Old Testament times. Why? Because God put all the judgment on Jesus. So am I saying everyone's saved? No. But the Bible does say that God has, uh, for God so loved the world. That God has, is not, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that God is not imputing the world's sins to them. But if the world rejects Jesus, then there will be a final judgment. There will be a great white throne. There will be the judgment seat of Christ. And, and the only ones who won't go to heaven are those who rejected this, their propitiation, those who rejected Jesus. Everyone who will have an opportunity to receive or to reject the gospel, reject or receive or stand, I'm sorry, everyone will have a chance to, to receive or to reject Jesus Christ. And so it, God took our sin for us. God took the punishment and the penalty for our sin for us. So if God's going to judge us, and, and in light of that, he's already judged Jesus. Then he had. Then G God is basically saying the cross meant nothing, and that's not God's not going to do that. That's very antichrist to think that. But there's always a but. And Corinthians just says if we we will if we sow the flesh of the flesh we will reap corruption. Even though Jesus paid our penalty, if we still live in sin, we will corrupt ourselves on a personal level, on a family level. On a, a, a community level, or even on a national level, or even a worldwide, uh, universal level, we will corrupt ourselves if we uh, indulge in sin. sin. There's a lot of things that are in our country, uh, and I'm not going to get into politics today. That's not my major. I'm here to preach Christ. But I'm also, well, I'm also not going to be uh, ignorant of what's going on in our world. And there's a lot of sin, there's a lot of debauchery, there's a lot of sin, there's a lot of evil in our world. And there's a lot of silence in the church, not preaching the truth, and not standing for, for, for good, good stuff, and for the, the gospel, and, and, and what's right and what's wrong. The Bible talks about many times, those, those, there's those who will call evil good and good evil. That's a sad day when those days come, and so those days have come upon us in many ways in our society. But I'm not here to magnify the sin. Although I, I recognize that there's sin in our world. <coughs> and there's sin and lawlessness in our country. I'm here to magnify God. And I'm here to start, talk this morning about how God reveals himself. And this is the climate. Israel has sinned. Israel had been judged and punished. Cross hadn't, the cross hadn't happened yet. They were in exile. But it's in this climate that God reveals himself as the Lord, your righteousness. You know, the word righteous, before I get into it, is a noun. It's not a verb. I believe we're supposed to live righteously in the verb form. But the word itself is used 512 times in Scripture, and it's a noun. A noun is a person, place, or thing. A noun is an object. It's not an action. A verb is an action. We are the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I want to preface what I'm going to say about that. Our righteousness, the word, the, I always thought righteousness was right doing. That's not what the word means. 
I'm supposed to live righteous. Well, I believe we're supposed to live righteously, godly. But we live righteously because we are. We live, we're about to be holy because we are holy. There's only one thing that will make you holy. There's only one thing that will make you righteous. There's only one thing that will make, will sanctify you, and that's Jesus. But now that you are holy, now that you are righteous, live it. Be it. Be who you are. Stop, stop being who you're not. That's a hypocrite. To be what you're not. If you are holy, then live holy. If you are righteous, you live righteous. But the word righteousness, or the word righteous, means right standing with God. We are in right relationship. We are in right standing with God. Not because of what we've done. And I'll be talking about self-righteousness, comparing with righteousness this morning. <coughs> but we're righteous because of what Christ has done. If righteousness, the Bible calls, Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 3 and 4, um, it's a gift you can't earn righteousness. It's a gift. We are righteous by faith in His grace. The same way Abraham was declared righteous because of what he believed, we will be declared righteous for what we believe. Okay, now, there's so much I can talk about righteousness. Like I told you, when we started this church, we talked a whole year on this. So I'm, it's going to be hard for me to, to put one whole year's teaching in one message. But I'm going to actually be taking this from a little different point of view than you've seen me... <coughs> take it before, because I'm not so much talking about righteousness, even though I am this morning. I'm talking about the God being revealed. And I'm, I'm going to be taking it from the angle, because like I said, there's over 512 scriptures on righteousness. And I haven't taught on all 512 in the six years we've had a church. I'm going to teach it from some different verses this morning, based on where this name is found. Okay, that's going to be my text this morning. Those who've been following me, you know what I'm talking about. Those who don't, uh, that probably doesn't mean much to you. That's okay. But, so that's the context. Israel's in judgment. So let's pick it up in uh, Jeremiah 19. Uh, uh, hopefully you're there by now. Jeremiah 19, that's where we're going to start. And we'll pick up verse 4. <coughs> because they have forsaken me. That's God talking to Jeremiah about Israel. Israel's they and me is God. Because they have forsaken me and have estranged this place. And have burnt incense unto it, unto other gods, whom neither they nor their fathers have known, nor the kings of Judah, and have filled this place with the blood of innocence. They have built also the high places of Baal, to burn their <coughs> excuse me, sons with fire, for burnt offerings unto Baal, which I commanded not, nor spake it, neither came it into my mind. Verse 6, Therefore, behold, the days come, said the Lord, that this place shall no, no more be called Tophet, nor the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. Okay, so far it's not sounding so good. But again, I'm just reinstating the background that Israel has been kind of very evil. They're worshiping other gods. They're doing things that God commanded them not to do. They're still God's chosen people. God brought them out of the promised land into, brought them out of Egypt into the promised land. But they forsook him and began to worship other gods. I mean, to the point that they were actually sacrificing their children, which is nasty, which is it's ugly. But that, I've also bring that out, too, because that's what we're doing in our country today with abortion. It's the same thing. It's just a different connotation. It's just a different way of it being performed. But we, our nation and other nations, but we're, our nations are slaughtering kids just the same way that they were. For their, see, they were, they were sacrificing, I'm not trying to be cruel here, but they were sacrificing kids for their own 
selfish uh, uh, preservation. The same way that people are doing abortion today, for their own selfish preservation, okay? But, but even all, all this is going on, Jeremiah, if you read the book of Jeremiah, and we're not going to read all, all the chapters, Jeremiah had compassion for Israel, and he loved his country. I have compassion for America. I love this country. I, I love my God first, and I have there's an order in that, but I love this country. I love America. This is where I'm at. I, want, I don't want to be in any other country. But that, that may I always agree with everything in this country, okay? Uh, also, too, uh, I'm not going to, you don't have to turn there, but it says in Jeremiah 5.14, he says, I will make my words to you a fire. There's a, God's word is like a fire. And you'll, uh, uh, um, excuse me, I think I'm leaving uh, one thing out. But, actually, go ahead and turn with me to uh, Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23. And as you're turning there, we just want to say some things. Let me get there real quick. But eventually we're going to find that Jeremiah gets thrown into prison. And he gets thrown into prison by the king Zedekiah. And why does he get thrown into prison? Because he's preaching the word. He's preaching the truth. Okay? He's, uh, and so, he, and, but God told him that he was going to put the word of God like a fire in his heart. How many of you know that even in our hour, in our day, in our society, we need people who will preach the truth? We need people who will stand for the truth. And I'm not talking about uh, preaching fire and brimstone because to me that's not the truth. I do I believe there's a hell? Yes, I do. But I'm not here magnifying hell. I'm here, we're not commanded to preach on hell. We're commanded to preach on Jesus, the gospel. That doesn't mean I won't talk about hell. It doesn't mean I won't talk about sin, sin from time to time. But that's not what I'm magnifying. That's not what I'm going to... Uh, um, dominate on my teachings on. I'm here to preach the good news. There's no good news about hell. There's no good news about a sin. Is it true? But Christ has became our sin. Christ has taken our sin. I'm not here to magnify what the Bible says reconciled to be dead to sin, not alive to God. I'm talking about being alive to God. We're dead to sin in Christ Jesus. If you're in sin, get Jesus. If you're in sin, uh, so I'm here to magnify the antidote, not the problem. There is a problem with sin, and there's a problem with hell. But I'm not here magnifying the problem. I'm here magnifying the solution. The solution is Jesus, and he is your righteousness, okay? But um, but we need those who will preach the truth. See, Jeremiah understood, and we're going to read some more in this minute. He understood salvation cannot be separated from faith in God. Now, they didn't have the gospel yet as far as Christ is concerned. Um, but they did have a covenant relationship with God that was based on faith. And, and, um, and so, <coughs> Jeremiah understood God's covenant relationship he had with Israel, with his people. Okay? Uh, this one I don't know if I'm going to move forward. But in Jeremiah 23, let's pick up verse 1. He says, Woe unto the pastors, that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, God of Israel, against the pastors that feed my people. Uh, let me uh, read it from the King James. Let me go to the New King James real quick. Sorry, it'll be a little easier reading. Let me read verse 2 again. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, against the shepherds, our pastors, 
who feed my people. You have scattered my flock, driven them away, <coughs> and not attended to them. Behold, I will, I will attend to you for the evil of your doings, but I will gather the remnant of my flock out of the countries where I have driven them, and bring them back to the folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. This is not the scope of my message yet. This is just a little bit of the backdrop. But there's a prophecy right here. Because we're going to get to the... Remember, this name is given twice in Jeremiah. We're getting to the first time it comes up. Uh, but it comes up here in verse, chapter 23. We're going to get there in just a minute. But he, at the beginning of this chapter, he, there's a prophecy against the poor pastor, bad pastor, bad leadership, both spiritual and, and political. But he also is talking about how he's going to bring the sheep back into the fold. These pastors, whatever they've done, they've scattered the sheep. And there are pastors today who are scattering sheep. And I'm not here, again, trying to preach against anything. But let me just make a little side note. Even as sheep, we need to be part of the fold. Whatever the reason is why we're out of the fold, whether it's our own uh, complacency and neglect, or whether it's because of bad pastoring experience that we've experienced. I mean, sometimes some of us have experienced bad churches, bad pastors, and they've driven us away. And I, I've met people like that. I've seen people like that. And I, and I understand not wanting to go to that church because of what's gone on. But going nowhere is not good either. You need, need to be part of the fold. And I know, I understand with COVID, things can be challenging, but there are innovative ways, even with technology, there are still ways where you can still be part of the fellowship, be part of the fold. It might be not as easy or convenient as it was before. But if you find it to be important, you'll find a way. <clears throat> I mean, if you're hungry, you'll find a way to get food. If you have to walk, whatever you got to do, got to call uh, for someone to deliver food to you, whatever you got to do, you'll find a way to get food. And I understand there's some even dire circumstances where even that's challenging. But if you find being part of a church, a good church, and I'm not so much advertising people to come to this church, even though I believe we're a good church. But I believe you need to be a part of the church. You need to be a part of the fold. Not just for you, but also for them. If the only reason you go to church is what you're going to get out of it, but you're not going to give anything, then that's a very selfish attitude. It's both ways. You should be receiving, but you also should be giving. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about we need each other. We admonish and encourage each other. I'm, I'm not teaching on that, but that's part of, it comes up here. So, you know, if you're scattered, if you're isolated, then you need to come back to the fold, whatever that is. And I understand some of us have been treated bad, bad churches, bad pastoring, but you need to get into the fold. Being isolated, especially in these last days, is dangerous. It's dangerous in a good day. But in these last days, it is going to be extremely dangerous for you to be isolated. From the fold. You need fellowship. You need a pastor. You need, I as a pastor need a pastor. We as pastors need fellowship. Nobody is excluded from this. Okay? That, that, it, it's, it's, when you are in the fold, that is one way that you are going to become fruitful and increase. Sheep beget sheep. And if sheep can't beget sheep when they're isolated. Okay? It's the basis of the... I'm not being cruel. Or I'm, not, I'm not trying to be crude. But at the same point in time, you can't reproduce by yourself. It doesn't work that way. You know, and so you need... If you're going to be fruitful, you've got to be healthy. The early church were steadfast to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. 
They were stepped out. They did it daily. We, somehow in our culture, do it one day a week, Sundays and sometimes a midweek service. But the church, the early church, did it every day. Somewhere we've missed the boat on that. Let's, let's pick it up though. Verse 4. I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them, and they shall not fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. Lord, I'm going to apologize. Everyone mock These shepherds will feed them. What do they feed them? How do we get fed? The Word of God. The Word of God is our bread. The Word of God is our man. It's like, the Bible says His Word is life and it's health to us. You need to be part of a church where the pastor preaches the Word. The Word is how you're fed. If you don't get fed by a nice speech, the speech might be inspirational and you might feel inspired, but feeling inspired and getting fed are two different things. That makes sense? We all need to be inspired from time to time, and I'm not necessarily downplaying a nice inspirational message. But on a regular basis, I need food. That makes sense? I need encouragement every day, but I also need food every day. And you need to be part of a church where you are getting a regular good diet of the Word. Am I making sense? This is not this is not my main point, my message this morning, but it's here in the context. So I, so I want to I want to address it. My job as a pastor is to encourage and equip the saints. Whether you come to this church or another church, my heart as a pastor is that you're going to a good church, being fed and being part of the fellowship, even amid COVID. Okay, without the word, you're not going to be fed. You might be inspired, but the word is what feeds us. Okay, let's move forward though. Verse 5, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise I will raise to David a branch of... Uh, uh, let me read it again. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his day, Judah shall, will be saved, and Israel will dwell in safety. Now this is his name by which we will be called the Lord our righteousness. That phrase, the Lord our righteousness, is Jehovah Tenisku, the Lord our righteousness. See, it's in this context that God is reproving pastors, bad pastors, but he's talking about the fold, that he said, and again, verse 5, Behold, the day of coming, this Lord, I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper. Now he's talking about the Messiah. Now this is the first name of, of the seven names that specifically talks about Jehovah being our Messiah. Okay? I believe they all point to Jesus, but this one specifically, uh, there's, there's, I mean, there's no beating around the bush here. It's right to the point. Okay? The Messiah, in other words, the language here is that Yahweh is the Messiah. Remember, in the study, there's two, two different, couple different words for Lord. But the word Yahweh is being used in this context. The Messiah is Yahweh. Okay? Uh, that's not a major point, but that is a point. The Messiah, and I but I am, I am challenging some other religions that think that the Messiah is just a good prophet or just a good person. Yes, he is a good person. Yes, he is a prophet. But he is, the Messiah is Yahweh. 
the Messiah is God. Okay? Uh, the, and this Messiah, this Yahweh, it goes on to say, let me read verse 5 again. Behold, the days are coming. Of course, this is Old Testament. The days for us, the days have come. That I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now, this is his name. I like this phrase. This is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. That's his name. God is our righteousness. That's his name. Some people, again, some of these people think they're, these are just titles. No, this is, <coughs> this is his name. This is how God reveals himself to him. He's, and, and, and keep in mind, righteousness is right standing with God. Even if you thought the word righteous is right doing, God calls, God is revealing his righteousness to a nation that is in sin. A nation that has been exiled because they've been judged. A nation that was despised and, and became destitute because of their sin, because of their folly, because of their evil and lawlessness. God reveals to them that He is the Lord, their righteousness. That's just awesome. I just love the goodness and mercy of our God. And let's read a little bit more before we go to another passage. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, verse 7, says the Lord, that they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up, up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country and from all the countries where I have driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. In other words, what I'm getting at is, in the same way that God brought Israel out of Egypt into the promised land, God is going to bring all the places where they're scattered now because of exile, God's going to bring them all back to the same country. It's almost like the Exodus in reverse order. That makes sense? Okay? The same way, the same way that God brought them out of Egypt into the promised land, God, God's scattering them now because of their sins, but God says He's going to bring them back. God is a God of restoration. And it says in 2 Corinthians that we have the ministry of reconciliation. Okay? That's an awesome thing. And God was going to do this even though they have forsaken Him. God didn't do anything wrong in this relationship. They were the ones that forsook Him. But God says, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to bring you back. That's awesome. Jeremiah had a heart of restoration. God had a heart of restoration for his people. Now turn with me to Jeremiah 33. And we're going to look at the second time this name comes up. Jeremiah 33. And we're going to pick it up with verse 1. It says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut, still shut up in the court of the prison. And what we how we because Zedekiah the king put him there because he was preaching basically the truth. And thus says the Lord who made it, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. Call to me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Let me just pause there for a moment. When you are in a crisis, like Jeremiah or whatever the circumstance may be, 
You need to call on God. Okay? He should be the first number on your speed dial. When you are in a crisis, whether it's because of something that's just happening to you and you're innocent, or whether something you just made a mess. You just did uh, a piece of stupid. You just did some stupid. How many of you know we've all done some stupid things, foolish things? And sometimes we've made a mess. And some of us have made an extremely huge mess. But whether we were at fault or whether we're not at fault, usually someone's at fault, we need to call God when we're in a crisis. And that's the first place we should go. And when you do, he will, and all these seven names, when they were in crisis, they call God revealed himself to them. That's what we're talking about. God's revealing himself to Jeremiah. But he says, call upon me and I will answer you. If you call upon God, he will answer you. We serve a God who answers us when we call. Okay? Let's pick it up. Verse 4. When I said the Lord God, the Lord God <coughs> of Israel concerning the houses of the city and the houses of the kings of Judah, which have been pulled down to fortify against the siege mounds of the sword, they come to fight with the Chaldeans, but only to fill their places with the dead bodies of men whom I will set slay my anger and my fury, all for whose wickedness I have hidden my face from the city. Verse 6. Behold, I will bring in health and healing, and I will heal them, and rebuild to them the abundance of peace and truth. They've sinned. They've forsaken God. <coughs> they're, being, they're in a very uh, crisis as far as a nation. They are being overtaken. They're being, and, and some of them are being slaughtered. Some are being going into exile. They're in a crisis. They're at war. They're being defeated. But God says, I will heal you. I will heal you. I will, and he's rebuilding, he says, I, he said, I will heal them and rebuild to them the abundance of peace and truth. Okay? Verse, uh, verse 7, And I will cause the captives of Judah and the captives of Israel to return. <coughs> Excuse me. And rebuild those places as at first. And I will cleanse them from all their iniquities by which they have sinned against me, and I will pardon all their iniquities by which they have sinned, by which they have transgressed against me. Are you seeing the mercy of God? I mean, here they have sinned, they're in exile, they're being judged in a very horrific way, and God says, I will heal them, and I will forgive all of their iniquities, all their sins, all their trespasses, all that they've done to transgress against me. They didn't necessarily ask for it. They didn't, they didn't, you know, none of us deserve God's mercy. There's no good deeds that you can do. There's no penance or anything you can do that can, you can deserve God's mercy. Mercy is a gift. If you can earn mercy, it's no longer mercy. If you can't earn grace, you can't earn mercy. Do we understand that? Mercy, you can't understand, you can't deserve it. But, and they didn't necessarily ask for it. And I'm sure they were crying out. But at the same point in time, God says, I'm going to show you mercy. I'm going I'm to cleanse you from all of your iniquities. I just love that. Verse 9. And then it shall come to me. And, I'm sorry. Then it shall be to me a name of joy, of praise, and an honor before all nations of the earth, who shall hear of all the good that I do to them, they shall fear and tremble for all the goodness 
and all the prosperity that I provide, or I, I, I think the King James says procure for unto them. You know, God, you know, right now in their, their history, they have a very bad reputation. They are being despised because of their iniquities. And there's some things in America we're being despised of because of our iniquities. Abortion being one of them that I mentioned. And there, there's so many other things. We've gone to other countries uh, a few years back. We've gone to the Dominican Republic. We've gone to Costa Rica. I remember particularly the uh, Dominican Republic. Many people despised the, 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 the homosexuality that was in this country. They, they were very angry people. Uh, uh, and the government was very angry at that. And I'm not going to go into that detail, but they, they just despise that about America. They despise that, that, that wickedness uh, in America. You know? But here's Israel. They're, 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 all the nations are... I mean, even today, a lot of people... A lot, there's a lot of nations that despise Israel. Okay? But, um, but no matter what their reputation was like, God says, I'm going to bring honor and glory... Uh, uh, before all nations. In other words, uh, God, and, and let me just put in some just simple terms for me. There's going to be a rumor about all the goodness that God is going to do in Israel. Because He's a good God. Not because they were good people. They were His chosen people, don't get me wrong. But uh, He's the one that chose them. They didn't choose Him. He chose them. God says the same thing and in John chapter 15 God chose us we didn't choose him you didn't even want anything to do with God and he saved you God died for you 2,000 years ago before you were even born there's nothing you could do to have earned God's mercy and grace but God but I want you to hear this God doesn't want to just do this for Israel I don't I don't know what situation you may be in you might be in a horrible situation because of your own folly but God says, I am going to do such a good thing in your life that all the nations are going to hear it. God, God wants to make you an, an advertisement of His goodness. God wants to make you a testimony of His goodness. That's awesome. I mean, he says people are going to fear and tremble because of all the goodness that I do to you. Verse 10, thus says the Lord, again there shall be heard, heard in this place, of which you say, it is desolate, without man and without beast, in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, that are desolate, without man and without inhabitant and without beast. It's like a ghost town. Verse 11, with the voice of joy, and the voice of the gladness, and the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride, and the voice of those who will say, praise the Lord of hosts. <coughs> for the Lord is good, for his mercy endures forever, and those who will bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. For I will cause the captives of the land to return as at the first, says the Lord. There's so much here, I, I can expand on a lot of this. First of all, understand this about Jerusalem. And I'm not just talking about natural Jerusalem, even though that's true. But the Bible talks about Revelation 21, he says, the angel says, I will, I'm going to show you the bride of Christ. And when he says, I'm going to show you the bride of Christ, he brings down like a sheet, New Jerusalem. Jerusalem is speaking about the body of Christ. It's speaking about us, Zion. Zion is also speaking about the Bible of Christ, the church, the people of God. 
That makes sense. We need to understand that. And he says, see, Jerusalem is a type of the church. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. And Jerusalem is a type of Christ. I can use a lot of scripture to bring this out, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, to bring out that Jerusalem is a type of the church. Paul talked about this, I think it's in Romans chapter 9, where he talked about we, the church, are true Jerusalem. We are true Israel. There's a natural Israel, and there's a spiritual Israel. And if we are in Christ, we are the true spiritual Israel. Okay? The house, but he says, in this house, and the Bible talks about, especially in the book of Hebrews, it talks about we are the house of God. We are the people of God. We are the house of God. We are the... It says in Isaiah chapter 1 that we are, are the city of righteousness. We are the house of God. Jerusalem, Zion, is the city of righteousness. That's who we are. And he says, in this place there will be joy. In this place there will be praise. In this place there will be honor. It might have been desolate. It's like a ghost town. There's not a, there's not a man. There's not a beast. There's nothing. It's so desolate. And I like even how it says early. I forget where exactly where it was at. A couple of verses earlier. It says, you said. It says, that says the Lord, verse 10. Again, there shall be heard in this place under which you say it is desolate. You know, sometimes, you know, sometimes when you're going through a crisis, and especially when you've been going on it for a while, your language has changed. It become, has become so branded in your heart that I'm this way, it's going to be this way. And, and you, how many you know, every time you come into a conversation with someone, you keep telling them your, you keep telling them your story. And, I, and I'm not trying to be insensitive. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. But sometimes the only story you have is all the calamity that's happened to you. And I'm not trying to, I'm, again, I'm not trying to be disrespectful that some bad things haven't happened to you. But at church, it's time to sing a new song. It's time to quit saying that refrain. And, and, and I, I, I'm not saying this because I don't care. I'm saying this because I do care. Some of us need to change the music. Some of us need to have a new refrain. You know, I was, I was, we, went, we, we had a pastor's luncheon yesterday. And I love the pastors. And some of them, and, and I love them, don't, don't get me wrong. But there was a lot going on in our world today and different things. And it's been a tough time because of COVID and, and different things going on in the world. But something just rose up on me. And it's like, we need to preach the gospel. My job is to preach the truth. <coughs> I realize there's a lot of corruptness going on in our world today. But I'm not here to magnify the, the, the evil. I'm here to magnify Jesus. There's a job to be done. There's a name to be preached. There's a gospel to be preached. And it's the name of Jesus. <coughs> I'm not here to preach all the doomsday. I'm here to preach salvation. I'm here to preach the truth. Jesus needed, people need to hear the truth, but the truth can set them free. They don't, people don't need to hear how bad it is. There's a time and there's a place for that if need be. But we need to hear the truth. We need to hear the gospel. Hopefully I'm making sense this morning. He says, um, sorry, let me just pick up where, see where I want to pick up here. I want to go back to verse 9 real quick. Says, then it shall be to me a name of joy and a praise and of honor before all the nations of the earth who shall hear all the good that I do to them, and they shall 
fear and tremble for all the goodness and all the prosperity that I provide or I procure unto it. God's going to do such a good thing to all nations. Now can you, uh, real quick, keep your finger in Jeremiah 33. We're not done. But can you put, uh, t uh, toggle over to Matthew chapter 5 real quick? Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to look at verse 14. It says, so keep your finger in Jeremiah 33, but toggle with me real quick to Jer Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. It says, you, Jesus is speaking, and he says, you. Who's you? You is me, <laughs> and you. You are you. Okay? He's talking to us. You are the light of the world. A city, that's Jerusalem, that is set on a hill. And it cannot be hidden. Church. You are the light of the world. You are the city on the hill. In these last days, with all the evil that's going on in our world, <coughs> we are the light of the world. We are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. God, God wants to make you a beacon of light to a dark world. How many know now how, how dark it gets? Light shines in darkness. Light expels darkness. Have you ever gone into a dark room and turned on the light? How fast does that light and darkness expel? It's like that. Darkness does not expel light. Light expels darkness. We have been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. His kingdom is not there. His kingdom is here within us. We are the light of the world. We are a city on a hill. And like Israel, we've made a mess of our lives. And we have a mess in our country. But we, church, are the light of the world. We are a city, the Jerusalem, that's on a hill. And no matter how desolate it has become because of your own folly, God says, I'm going to bring praise and joy and honor and all the nations are going to tremble because of all the goodness I do. God is going to make an example, a good example, out of you. That makes sense? Going back to verse uh, 11, or 10 11. Again, there shall be heard in this place of which you say it is desolate, without man and without beast, in the cities. Where is the city on the hill? Or Judah, in the streets of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is on a hill. That are desolate, without man, without inhabitant, without beast. The voice of the Lord and the voice of the gladness and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voice of those who will say, Praise the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good and His mercy endures forever. And those who bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord, and for I will cause the captives of the land to return as at the first, says the Lord. God, you are the light of the world. And God wants to do such a good thing in you. It's going to shine to the nations. You know, we call ourselves Lighthouse Discipleship Center because my heart is that this church would be a beacon of light to the world. God wants to make a testimony to the world. God wants to make an advertisement of the goodness that He brings into your life. 
because of his grace, because of his mercy. Even those who despise you. Where we believe God wants to make such an advertisement that's attractive. Where people say, I want to know what you're doing. I want to know, I want to believe what you believe. You know, if, 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 I hope you can hear my heart. If the only message we tell people is everything that's going wrong. To the world, or to those who are struggling, how is that an advertisement for them to say, I want what you got? Because if our problems are just as bad or worse than their problems, how is that going to evangelize the world? Who wants to, who wants, and, and I'm not saying we don't want sympathy and empathy and, 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 and whatnot, and, but sometimes that can be selfish, if you can hear my heart. I'm not trying to, we all need encouragement, we all need support, we all need uh, love, we all need a hug sometimes. Does that make sense? But if that's the only thing that we teach and, and proclaim all the time, how are we expecting to win the world when all we're telling them is everything that's going wrong? But all our, let's just change the scenario. If all we're doing is telling the world how bad they are, and they already know how bad they are, whether they agree with it or not, how is that evangelizing? They need to hear the truth. What's the truth? That Jesus died for their sins. That Jesus is the answer. And God wants to do such a good thing in your life that an advertisement to the world that just, just I mean, look, remember Egypt. What was going on in Egypt wasn't going on in Goshen. When there was darkness, I don't know how God did it, but it was dark in Egypt, but it's light in Goshen. Goshen wasn't on the other side of the planet. It was next door. With the flies and the frogs and all the other things. It didn't happen in Goshen. God wants to do such a good thing in your life because He's a good God. That is an advertisement to who our God is. Now, I'm not saying you won't go through tough times. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God delivers us out of them all. You might even go through more things than some of the world because you are a Christian for His name's sake. But God will deliver you. Look at Paul. He went through horrible things. Your list of what you've gone through cannot even come close to what Paul went through. <coughs> and yet Paul called it light afflictions. And I'm, again, I'm not trying to be insensitive. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying <coughs> to get your focus off you and get your focus on Jesus. Don't Stop focusing on what's going on in the world. There's a time and place for that to a certain degree. I'm not saying we need to be totally ignorant. But stop. That's not where our focus needs to be. Our focus needs to be on Jesus. We're talking about how God has revealed himself to, to his people through these seven names. But in these last days, God has revealed himself through Jesus. Paul, Jesus, John, Peter wrote about all the things that were going to go on these last days. John even wrote the book of Revelation of all the things that were going to happen in these last days. But the point of the book was not all the calamity. The point of the book was to reveal Jesus. That makes sense. The focus needed to be on Jesus. We might despise different things, but we need to focus on Jesus. 
And we serve a God whose love and mercy endures forever. People need to hear this. And Pete, if you will focus on Jesus, if you will focus, teach, preach Jesus, people will hear of the goodness God is doing in your life and through your life and through the words that you speak, through not only word but also in power. But he also talks about how there's to be a sacrifice of praise. How do you know sometimes praising God is a sacrifice? We don't praise God because we feel like it. We praise God because we choose to. How many of you know it, it's not based on what you feel? Who died and made you king? I'm not trying to be mean, but I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to emphasize something. Sometimes it's a sacrifice of praise. Praising God is about God, not you. Praising God, praising Him is about exalting God, exalting Jesus, not you. It's not about how you feel. It's about who God is. Get your focus off you and get your, get your focus off the problem. Get your focus off the world. Get your focus on your, your, your story, if it's bad. And get your focus on Jesus. And I'm not trying to be insensitive. I want to see, I want to see you have a new story. A new testimony. That every time you open your mouth, I can't help but tell you all the good that God's done in my life. That's what people need to hear. Okay. Because you're, all you're doing is sharing stories about how you want people to feel bad for you. And I'm not saying there's not a time and place for that to a certain degree. But that, there's something about that, if you can hear my heart, that's selfish. It's all about you. Let it be about Him. Let's begin to proclaim, despite what we're going through, let's begin to proclaim who He is. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us to set the captives free. And you can't set the captives free if all you're doing is sharing your sob story. And I, I'm just as guilty. Over the last few years, we've gone through some horrible things. People have done some horrible things to us without cause. But I can't keep telling that story. I've got to tell who God is. So I'm not pointing the finger at anyone else. I'm pointing it at myself. In these last days, people don't need to hear what David Sherry went through. People need to hear Jesus. Verse 13 and 14. Alright, pick up verse 12. That says the Lord of hosts, In this place which is desolate, without man and without beast, and in all the cities, there shall again be a dwelling place of shepherds, causing their flocks to lie down. And in the cities of the mountains, in the cities of the lowland, in the cities of the south, in the land of Benjamin, in the places around Jerusalem, and in the cities of Judah, and the flocks shall again pass under the hands of him who counts them and says, The Lord, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. And he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. And in those days, 
Judah will be saved. And Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is a name by which she will be called. The Lord our righteousness. You know, in, in, in uh, previously, I think it was chapter 23, we looked at how God is called. The Lord is your righteousness. But here he says, she shall be called. The Lord is your righteousness. And some of you might have a double take on that. Well, did the, did the author uh, put an extra S in there? Instead of he and she, she? How many know we are baptized into his name? We are born of God. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that he who knew no sin became sin, that we should be called, that we, that we should become the righteousness of God in him. We are the righteousness of God in him. Because God is our God we are declared righteous. This is a nation that forsook God. This was a nation that was in exile because of all their evil. And God says, I'm going to do such a cleaning and such a shaking that all the nations are going to see the joy and the, <coughs> and the goodness that I procure to it. And she shall be called the, 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 um, the Lord our righteousness. That's powerful. That is profound. If you can get your uh, minds around that. <coughs> God will perform the good things. He also says in what we just read, God will do what he promised. All the promises of God are yes and amen in him to the glory of God by us. It says in, in, in 1 Corinthians. God will do what he says. God will do what he says. We need to hear that. And we need to believe that. This is the name by which she should be called the Lord our righteousness. We are the body of Christ. We are the new Jerusalem. We are a city on a hill. You are a city. You are the light of the world. You know, when I read that in Matthew years ago, it, I know he's the light of the world, but it, and we're going to be singing some songs here in December. Joy to the world for the light has come. We're singing about Jesus. We're singing about God. But Jesus said we are the light of the world. We are a city on a hill. We are Jerusalem. We need to stop associating ourselves absent from God, and we are with God. God is with us. We are in a covenant relationship. They didn't have the cross uh, in the Old Testament, but they did have a covenant relationship with God. And we have the cross, and we have a new, a better covenant relationship with God. We are the Lord is our righteousness. This is profound. It says, We or she will be called the Lord our righteousness. The Lord our righteousness is not just his name, but because we are in Christ is our name too. We're not God, we're not the right to God outside of God, but we're not outside of God. We are in Christ. We are the righteous God in Christ. If you are Christ, then you are righteous. You can't be in Christ and unrighteous. It's like oil and water. They can't mix. Okay? It goes on to say, verse 17, For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel, nor shall the priests of Levites lack a man to offer burnt offerings." Before me, 
to kindle grain offerings and to sacrifice continually. Until Christ came, there had to be Levites to offer a sacrifice. But how do we even know that Christ did come? And his sacrifice is perpetual. Okay? Jesus is sitting on the throne. This is fulfilled today. Okay? We are sitting on a hill. We are the righteous God. We are declared righteous in this sight. I don't have time to get to it because I'm running out of time this morning. I'm not sure where I'm at. The time. About 15 minutes. But in Ephesians chapter 5, and again, I, I just can write this down, but Ephesians chapter 5, starting around verse 25 to about verse 30, Paul talks about how Christ. Actually, you know what? I, 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 I'm sorry, I got to turn here. If I have to switch just the two messages, I will. Turn me to Ephesians 5 if you have your Bibles. If not, I'll read it to you. Ephesians 5, beginning with verse 25. I think it's just too important that sometimes we need to see it. We need to be able to see it sometimes in our own Bible so we can turn back to it and read it again. That makes sense? Because husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. I love verse 26. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with a wash of water by the word. That he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Who's doing all the cleansing? Is she doing it? Is she preparing herself? No. He is preparing her. By cleansing her. By sanctifying her. We're talking about Israel being a sinful nation. And God is declaring them righteous by his grace and his mercy. In the same way Paul was talking about how Christ loves us, his church. And he has presented us to himself, a glorious church. We're righteous because of what he did. No matter what we're doing, if we're doing wrong, it's still wrong. It's still sin. It's still dangerous. But we're righteous because of what He did, not what we do. We need to understand that. It's very important that we understand that. Again, we are the light of the world. We are the sin of the hill. We are not. We are not hidden. You know, if you're hiding, then you might be ashamed of something. If you're ashamed of something, Paul's, I mean, Isaiah 61 says that he, instead of shame, he'll give you double honor. Where does that double honor come from? Righteousness. When you are righteous before God, there's nothing to be ashamed of. Now, we might be ashamed of what we did, but God says in the New Covenant, which he talks about in Hebrews chapter 8, I will remember your sins no more. God says he's taking our sins as far as the east is from the west. God doesn't remember your sins anymore. If God doesn't remember your sins anymore, why are you remembering them and why are you telling the story? That makes sense? 
You don't need it. You don't have any business telling anyone else's story about their sin if God is not remembering them. And you have no business telling your own story about your sin if God hasn't remembered them. Forget it. God's forgotten it. I'm not excusing sin. I'm not I'm not saying giving you a license by saying that. No, his grace will teach you to deny ungodliness. If you're still struggling with something, you haven't understood righteousness. Because he says a way to righteousness and sin not. It doesn't say sin not to become unrighteousness. It says that in 1 Corinthians 15, 34. Awake to righteousness and sin not. Awake to who you are. If you're still struggling with something, you haven't awoken to who you are. You haven't had a revelation. We're talking about God revealed, and you need a revelation of righteousness. <coughs> I don't say that to put you down. I say that to encourage you. Get a revelation of righteousness. We've seen people in this church get set free from drugs, get set free from uh, homosexuality, Get set free from uh, depression when they were, and other things, pornography, when they understood that they were righteous. Well, understanding your righteousness does not give you a license to go do unrighteousness. Understanding your righteousness sets you free. It sets you free. It sets you free from a simple life. We, righteousness is part of our redemption. We're baptized into his name. We're, we're crucified with Christ. We're, back, we're buried with Him in baptism. And we're raised together with Him in newness of life. So, put, when we're crucified with Christ and we're buried with Him, which baptism, that's what baptism, water baptism is similar. Like we're buried with Him. When you come out of the water, you don't come out of the water the same person. You are righteous. The water didn't cleanse you. It's just symbolizing what God has done to you through the blood of Christ. But, Stop living like the old man that was buried. Live like the new man. I wasn't going to go here, but go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. <coughs> We're in Ephesians uh, 5. We're going to go back one chapter. Ephesians 4, verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ, and indeed you haven't heard him and have taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. There's a truth, and it's in Jesus. And this truth we need to so learn. There's a truth in Jesus that we need to so learn. And what? And I like the King James, because at the end of verse 21, there's a colon. That tells me that he's going to explain what he just said. Actually, the New King James has a colon too. And this truth that's in Jesus that we need to so learn, is that we put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which goes corrupt according to the seed of lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which is created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. This truth that we need to put off, this, this truth that we need to so learn, and we need to learn this truth, folks. We need to so learn. This, this phrase, so learn, in the Greek, means to be imbued. It means to be saturated. We need to be so saturated in this, this truth. If there's one truth as a pastor, I want you to know. I want you to know this truth. That you put off the old man, and in the spirit of your mind, you put on the new man, who is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Your true righteousness is something you put on in the spirit of your mind. It's true holiness. It's true righteousness. If... if if you're not putting on this this righteousness which is in you in Christ Jesus, you're not putting on a true righteousness. It's a fake. It's a fraud. 
is a phony. Self-righteousness is not true righteousness. The true righteousness you need to, to, to so learn and put on is that you are created according to God in true righteousness. The other part of it is that you put off the old man. Stop thinking, stop talking like, an old, like the dead man. Because your old nature is dead. Your old nature is crucified and buried. Stop talking like him. Stop associating with him. Stop focusing on him. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. We talk a lot about being renewing your mind. This is how you renew your mind. Put off the old man and put on the new. It is a process. It's a daily process. Even as Christians, we need to do this daily. Sometimes i got to stop thinking like a, 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 a natural man and start thinking like a spiritual man because that's who I am. <coughs> First Corinthians 1, 29-31. Let's go there real quick. First Corinthians. There's no flesh of glory. I'll be speeding up just a little bit because of time, but... Bear with me. That no flesh of glory in his presence, but of him you are in Christ, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Again, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 29. That is it written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. It starts off by saying, no flesh can glory in His presence. You can't glory about your self-righteousness. You can't glory about what you've done. Our glory, if we have any glory, we have glory because we are in Christ. That's what it says here. That no flesh of glory in his, his presence, but of Him. You are in Christ. If you're going to glory, you're going to glory in Christ. Because He, Christ, has become... Your wisdom. He's become your righteousness. He's become your sanctification. And he has become your redemption. You're not going to glory in what you've done. You're going to glory in what he's done. You know, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit in a few weeks when I'm done with this one. And I'll eventually get to the gifts. And praise God for the gifts. Pray God that the Spirit of the Lord is upon us. We're not. But we're not going to glory in us. We're going to glory in Him. Does that make sense? Because if you're glorying what you've done, and I've seen some people with spiritual gifts get very cocky. <laughs> Something's wrong with that. Paul says, if you don't have no love, it, it means, basically means nothing. Love is not selfish. Love, uh, uh, love is not conceited. that makes sense? And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um... Again, uh, you don't have to turn with me, but Matthew 23. If you turn to Matthew 23, you don't have to. But, and we're not going to necessarily read it. But Jesus begins to give a sermon that is very scathing. He's addressing a lot of religious leaders. This is where he's well, uh, he's starting to well the religious leaders. If you ever read Matthew 23, Jesus is giving a very scathing message. But it, need, it needs to be here. If you ever heard Jesus preach a message that he was angry, <laughs> that was one of them. 
But, you know, at the same point in time, you know, there was a, a DVD that we used to watch in the, in the book of Matthew. And it went verse by verse. And I love that edition because it, when Jesus gave this message, he did it with such compassion. He did it with such brokenness. He loved the religious people. But his heart was broken for them. And he said some very harsh things that needed to be heard, that needed to be said. And he, he, he said his most harshest message to those who were self-righteous in their own eyes. Self-righteousness is dangerous. It's a Pharisee. It's, 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 it's the same thing that the Pharisees did. And Jesus hated self-righteous people with a passion. He loved the people, but he, loved, he hated the self-righteousness about the people. With a passion. And I do too. You know, I, 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 I hate religion. And the religion I hate the most is Christian religion. And so I'm like, whoa, what do you say? I love Christianity. I love true Christianity. But those who betray a self-righteous Christianity, I hate that message. Because it's dangerous. Some people think it's okay when it's not. I'm not here to exalt me. I'm here to exalt if I can become righteous by what I do, then I'm saying I don't need Jesus, and that's Antichrist. The word Antichristo means against or instead of Christ. And I'm, if I'm preaching any type of message, any type of testimony that says, look at what I've done, boast in what I've done, that's wrong, that's dangerous. You cannot be righteous by yourself. You have to be made righteous by the blood of Jesus. You have to be made righteous from the inside out. He talks about the, in this message in Matthew 23, Jesus says, you are whitewashed tombs. He says, first clean the inside, and then the outside will be clean. You know, there's a lot of behaviors in our world. We're talking about, I talked about how in America there's some very evil things going on. But you're not going to change the behavior until you change the inside first. If all we're doing is behavior modification and we're not taking doing life transformation, we haven't accomplished nothing. Just because they're not sinning anymore, if they don't have Christ, they're still not going to heaven. We want them to be born again. And we want them to change their behavior, but from the inside out, not the outside in. Just changing your behavior without changing your heart doesn't accomplish anything. But we want, but if you're changed on the inside, you'll change on the outside. You have to be made righteous. Almost every religion is about what I can do to reach God or my deity. Almost every religion teaches do these things. To reach God, to appease God, to be accepted by God or your deity. Almost every religion teaches, do this and you'll be holy. Do this and you'll be good. Do this and your God or deity will be appeased. Christianity is not about what we do. Christianity is about what He has done. What we do is our response to what He has done and who we are because we received what he's done. That makes sense. True Christianity is the opposite. It's about what God has done for us. He made us righteous. 
Our actions are the results of that revelation. Our actions don't make us righteous. Either you are 100% righteous or you're 0% righteous. There's no other thing. You are either totally righteous because of Jesus or you're not righteous at all. There's only one way to become righteous. There's no in-between. See, in school, you can actually get a D and it will be a passing grade. Well, with the kingdom of God, there is no D. There is no C. There's no B. There's, no, there's only A. And there's only one way to be perfect, and that is through Jesus. That makes sense? Either you have Jesus, or you don't. Well, I believe when you stand before God one day, you're not going to be asked about this and that. You're going to be asked, what did you do with Jesus? Because there's only those who have Christ, or those who don't have Christ. There's no in-between. There's no difference. Either you're part of Adam, or you're part of the second Adam, Christ. There's only two prototypes. There's only two natures. Adam, natural, or Christ. There's no, there's no in between. Okay? It's like two glasses of water. One's 100% pure, it's clean, and the other one is filthy. The other one has parasites and germs and all kinds of icky stuff in there. You don't want to drink the dirty water. You want to drink the good water. Okay, but what if the dirty water became 50%, instead of being 100% dirty, was only 50% dirty? Would you still drink it? No. Okay, what if it was 10% dirty? What if there was only 1% of a parasite in that dirty water? Would you drink that water? No. Certain things. I just use that as an example. There's just certain things in life that have to be 100%. And either you are 100% righteous because of Jesus, or you're not righteous at all. Stop trying to get righteous without Christ. Thank Him for His gift of righteousness, and live according to that gift. We start... This walk with God from a righteous standpoint. When you receive Christ, you are 100% righteous. You start from a place of victory. We are not starting from a dirty glass of water. We're starting from a clean glass of water. Somewhere, we were a dirty glass of water. <laughs> like which hand do I use? I don't have a glass in my hand. But Christ has made it 100% pure. So now that we're 100% pure, live like it. Because that's who you are. The, so the pure water, this pure glass I'm talking about, I wish I should have had some glasses up. But it's who we are in Christ. It's our nature. We are not filthy, gradually trying to get better by our own means, by our own self-righteousness. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We're not righteous without Christ, but we're not without Christ. We're in Christ Jesus. And if you're in Christ Jesus, you are 100% righteous. Because if you're not, you're none of it. 
If you know you are pure, if you know you are righteous, why would you want to drink from the filthy water? You know, I had my own addictions, and other people have had their addictions, and when I finally realized I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, it set me free from those addictions. I didn't do, I tried for years to get set free, to try to become righteous, and I was doing it the wrong way. The more I tried, the worse I got. Because I was trusting me. I was relying on me instead of him. It doesn't work. It gets worse. You don't trust the flesh to control the flesh. You trust Christ. It says in Galatians 5.16, walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. It doesn't say walk in the flesh and you'll control the flesh. It doesn't work that way. You walk in the spirit. I don't have time. I think I might have gone over it. Yeah, I'm over. So what I'm going to do, uh, and I'm going to, I'm not, I don't want to cut this out, but I, I don't want to keep going. I don't know how much longer I have. I'm going to stretch this into a second message. And if need be, I'll, I'll, if I can, I'll, I'll try to incorporate the, the, the second one. But I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to cut anything out. That makes sense? So I let it make the two messages and then try to squeeze the one. I guess I'm trying to rush because I really want to get into my next series. But I don't want to sabotage this series because I'm trying to speed it up. So um, I, do, I think I want to do justice uh, and that, uh, and close it here. I'm not done. I'm going to pick it up next week and, and finish this and we'll just, we'll just see where we are. Okay? Uh, so some of these might overlap a little bit. Um, so let me just pray it out. Lord, we just worship you. We magnify you. Lord, I, 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 don't, I, I know I said a lot of things. There's so many more things I want to say. But Lord, you are the teacher. Holy Spirit, you are our teacher. And I pray that you would teach us all afresh the, the first principles. And that's righteousness. You said all scripture is proper for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So the man of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We want to be equipped in these last days. But we need to be indoctrinated. We need to be reproved, corrected, and trained in your righteousness. You are our righteousness. And I thank you that your love and your mercy endures forever. Lord, bless us as we go about this week. We pray for our country. We pray for our president. And we pray that regarding some of these things, regarding the election, that the truth would come out. We thank you for exposing the lies and ex exposing the truth where it is. I thank you. We bless America. We bless this country. And we magnify our King. Hail King Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you. All right. We'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock.